We're so honored you chose to join us tonight to study the Word of God. You know, I, we have, uh, on Wednesday nights, we've spent some time in prayer over the last, you know, nine months or so, and it, it's amazing how sometimes God speaks to us through different circumstances and different people and things people will say and then His Word and in prayer. You know how He does that, right? And some of us are maybe a little more hard-headed than others, and it takes a few times for messages to get through. And uh, I was reading, there's a, there's a website that I moderate for pastors who just want to discuss issues with other pastors. And there was this pastor on there quite a bit who I didn't know. He was from another state, and he joined this website. And I'd never met him before, and I noticed he was on there a lot. And so I, I just kind of was getting curious, so I just kind of tried to figure out who he was, found his website, and, and something on his website just was so convicting to me. And it's something that was added to a lot of other experiences that I've been having recently. What he said was he was healed of a terminal illness. And through that healing, he was supposed to be dead. But he was healed. And through that healing experience, he was called into the ministry. And this is what he said that was really convicting to me. He said, we pray for the sick every week at our church. Every week. Because people don't necessarily get healed every week, but we pray every week. And the reason we pray every week is because I was healed. And I know the difference that that made in my life. And the pastor said something today that was, you know how this, you know how you can be kind of funny sometimes. And kind of has those pithy remarks that get you. And he says, you know what's true? If you pray more, more people will get healed. And he said, if you pray less, less people are going to get healed. And I just started laughing. Of course that's true. I want you to get ready for tonight, later tonight, you know, we're going we're gonna to teach and cover this, this message tonight, but then we're going to spend some time in prayer, and if you are in need of healing, I believe we really need to pray, and this goes back a long time in my personal life, there's been times where I've shared stories with you where I prayed for people who are healed, and um, I probably didn't tell you a lot of stories of people who weren't, did I? We don't usually share those. But the truth is, those linger in our minds, and I think they contribute to the fact that sometimes we don't pray as much as we should be praying. I don't know if you remember that Charlotte, Charlotte Duckett had surgery. Anybody remember that? Anybody see her in the back? Can you wave at us, Charlotte? She could probably dance around a little bit. I saw her come in, and she looked like she was moving really good. But for the last, how, how long, three months, you've been coming up, and we've been praying for your hip. And, and I believe that, that every one of those prayers mattered. Every one of them were important. And there were times where she would apologize, and she would say, Pastor Dennis, probably don't want to do this but can we pray again say no don't apologize we need to be praying but all of that is adding into this and i know that dan yates is kind of a private more private person than some of the rest of us but some of you who know him he he actually went through a bout of non-hodgkin's lymphoma a few years ago and through that experience, of course, he went through that whole experience with chemo. I mean, he went through the treatments and everything, and he's been cancer-free. But then a few weeks ago, he was in for a normal physical, and they found a couple masses that immediately they said, you know, because of your history, we need to remove these and, and send them to pathology and figure out what this is. Think you'd be worried? You think at least in the back of your mind, you'd be thinking, oh, God, not again. I don't want to go through this again. We already did this. I'm done with this. You know, wouldn't a little doubt creep in, a little fear, and you think about what's next, and, uh, you know, Dan is a man of God, and, and he has, uh, you know, shared that prayer need with, with a lot of us, but I, I'm here to tell you tonight that, that those tests have come back, and he's completely free of cancer. Isn't that amazing? It's exciting. Let me ask you a question. Was he healed, or did, was it never cancer? 
Should we vote? What do you think? Well, I'd love to think he was healed, and I do think he was healed. I know he was healed. But here's the thing about healing. There's so many variables that, that persist in healing. We've, we've talked about this on Wednesday nights, and I know that par- sometimes it's those variables that freak us out and keep us from praying because we wonder, you know, and then sometimes I know you've heard this, I've heard this. I mean, I was literally, literally in a hospital bed and had a pastor friend of mine say, Dennis, let's be real. Is there sin that we need to pray about? And he was attributing my accident and, and losing my foot and all this to maybe some, maybe there was kind of sin in there. And that's, that's how we do sometimes. I mean, that's kind of an extreme thing, and we're still friends. But, <laughs> but I remember thinking, really? For real? Is, are you really saying this to me? But, but because of that, there are those doubts that linger in our minds. But let me tell you what is true. We serve a God that heals. How many have experienced personal healing in your life? You've personally been healed. Okay. How many of you have prayed for somebody and you've seen them healed? So you know this works. You know it. How many have prayed and somebody wasn't healed? Okay. We've experienced that as well. And as we've mentioned before, there are so many variables involved, but there's times where we, we start to doubt. I mean, some of those variables can be, you know, people's personal lives. Um, I, was with a, I was with an evangelist. We were doing a crusade in, um, in Siberia. And we had so many questions because so many weird things were going on in the crusade. And as the, the Russian people were coming, you know, we had a group from Argentina who had learned how to make people fall under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what they were doing is pushing them like this and then pushing up in their backs. And the poor Siberians, they didn't know what they were supposed to do. They'd never seen TV. They'd never been to a crusade. So they were contorting their bodies. And, and I had uh, students with me are saying, Pastor Dennis, stop this. And I was saying, you know what? I know that those people praying are sincere, and I know God moves. And there were people under, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you know, being slain in the Spirit. And there were many things like that happening. But afterward, we were talking to this, um, this evangelist, and we were just asking. And one of the questions we asked, why is it sometimes people don't get healed? And he started laying out the variables. Well, of course, we're familiar with sin. We're familiar with faith, lack of faith, faith in the person being prayed for, faith in the person praying. There's all these other environmental circumstances. I mean, sometimes we get ourselves into situations that end up in our being sick, and we do things. And he said, I'll I'll give you an example. He says, there was a lady that came for prayer, and I could tell she was not taking care of her body, and she was having back problems. And I felt, I, I heard God as clear as I'm talking to you guys say, I would love to heal her, but as she walks back out, she's going to injure her back because she hasn't taken the other steps. And here's what he said. Sometimes we don't do the things that we can do, which clears the way for God to do the supernatural things that he wants to do. That's kind of hard to take, isn't it? <laughs> hard to chew on that for a little bit. So we are going to pray tonight, and, and we're going to make that a regular feature of our Wednesday night services because we know that God heals, and I want to give you an opportunity to take part in that, to pray, pray for prayers of faith. You know, something else that happened tonight that kind of reinforces in my mind is I was talking with Eric. I didn't even ask you if I could share this, but God is doing amazing things in his life. So I won't share your story, but if people want to hear his story, you need to talk to him because God is doing amazing things in his life, things that he didn't expect God to do, and God is moving in his life. We need to tell our stories. We need to share what God is doing, some of the things he's doing. Well, as we're going on in our series and talking about we are Crown Point Corinthians, we are the Corinthian church in modern-day America, which means we are saints, but we're also, <laughs> we're also sinners who've experienced grace. 
We're not perfect. We have things that go on in our lives. Um, you know that this church, we have been, we have been kind of under, I'm, I'm not saying a spiritual attack, but there have been people trying to steal copper out of our air conditioners. Where, was everybody aware of that? Yeah, we, ha- we have an air conditioning unit on the, maybe I shouldn't tell you, is anybody here who needs copper? <laughs> okay, there, <laughs> there's a unit on the ground back here, and it got hit in the late summer, and it was, it was horrible. I mean, they stripped the entire thing out, huge unit back there, and then some on the roof later in the summer, everybody's, <laughs> everybody's looking at Greg. <laughs> I don't think it was Greg, because he had knee problems at the time, I don't think he could have carried that, but, but. Through that, you know, the church is, we've, we needed to take some measures to help protect ourselves because bad people do bad things. And uh, we don't want to waste God's money uh, paying for, pastor had a good line. Again, he's got these little lines he throws out all the time. He said, couldn't we just tape a $100 bill to the, to the air conditioners and say, can you just take this, please, and leave us alone? Yeah, well, because... Yeah, because you pay the insurance deductible and the actual replacement cost is tens of thousands of dollars and these guys are only making four or five hundred bucks. They're killing us. So in the process, you know, we had to put some cameras up around the church. Has anybody noticed those? You feel like you're in, being watched all the time? Oh, good. Oh, good. You're not. You're not. You're not being watched at all. But I got a phone call. Uh, Nicole and I got woken up in the morning. What was it, like 1.40 a.m.? <laughs> In the phone's ringing at that hour, you know it's not a good thing. And when I look down and see what, what number it is, and it's the alarm company, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, not again, please. We don't need this to happen. And they say, uh, motion detector went off. I'm like, well, where? Zone 46. You're not helping me here. It's 145 in the morning. <laughs> you know, where's that? She goes, well, it's an outside detector. Well, we have one on the roof. We have one outside here. Still not helping me. So thankfully, we have a way to look at those. So, But it involves me getting up and getting on the computer and taking a look. So... So I'm looking, and I'm thinking, I don't see anything. Everything looks good. The building looks safe. There's nobody in the parking lot. Everything's all right. And then I thought, well, she called it, you know, 140 or so. So I kind of scrolled back. You know, you can do that in the cameras. And so I just wanted to share with you what I saw. Can you see that lovely thing right there? Can you see it right there? Yeah, she was just grazing and thought she'd, what? Yeah, she was, yeah. She didn't steal any copper, thankfully. (laughs) Okay. Well, here's here's the thing. That had nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to share with you my personal pain and the fact that I'm tired tonight, still from two days ago. What? Yeah, we know. Yeah, we know where that zone is. Crown Point Corinthians. Crown Point Saints of God. What I'd like to do with us tonight is take a look at this portion of Scripture in the book of Corinthians. How many, has anybody been reading Corinthians at all while we've been talking about this? You, you, if you haven't, and maybe you're just unfamiliar with the book of Corinthians, the church in Corinth was an amazing church. Amazing things. And we know that Paul planted this church. He started this church. The people who were part of this church were in a cosmopolitan Greek society. Most of these people had never been Christians before, unfamiliar with Christianity, the Christian faith. These were not Jewish people who had been converted. These were Gentiles. These were people who had lived in, in, a, in a very wild society up until this point. These people brought a lot of baggage into the church. And I know there's a little bit of review, but there are times where we look back and we think, oh, if I could have just lived in Bible days, you wouldn't have wanted to be part of this church. And I say that because it would have been a very chaotic experience. It would have been nothing like what we experience here at Crown Point Church. No beautiful seats, 
No big auditorium. No cameras that take pictures of deer. <laughs> Nothing like that would have existed. Instead, what you would have had is, is small groups of churches meeting in homes. At the most, it would have been about 50 or 60 people. Not only that, it was a wild environment. As we see later on in the book, the things that Paul is correcting, we can see a lot about the church by what Paul is saying. He's freaked out because he's le- he left, he started the church, and then he went back to work on other churches, and then he gets a report that there's a guy sleeping with his stepmother. And he says, how can this be in the church of God? And yet they flaunt it because they thought that they were doing a good thing, thinking that it was grace and they were giving grace to this brother. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You need to throw that immoral brother out. And in this church, you know, we do communion in a very orderly fashion. We'll do communion this Sunday. And we celebrate communion along with the church of God worldwide and throughout the millennia. It's something that unites all Christians. You know, we sometimes do it a little differently, but they did it a lot differently. And as you know from the book of Corinthians, there were people getting drunk on the communion wine. There were people pushing ahead in line and eating all the bread and not leaving any for everybody else. This is a chaotic place. This is a place where Paul said, hey, 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 gifts of the Spirit are a good thing, but only one or two, maybe three people at a time speaking in tongues, please. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a church like that, that is just everything's going on all the time? And Paul is trying to correct all of that. Those are the people that Paul called saints. Those are the people that Paul called holy. Those are the people like us, because we bring baggage into a church as well. We've got our own things, our own issues. You know, one thing that we get, we start to do as Christians, you know, maybe we get a few things taken care of, and maybe this superficial, outwardly visible sin we've fixed, but that doesn't end our sin. And it's true that none of those sins are any different in the eyes of God than the other sins. Now, the sins all have different consequences, but it all keeps us out of relationship with God. So, as we look at this portion of Scripture today, let's see what Paul addresses first. There's a little tip. He says, I appeal appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Does that sound like a church you've been part of before? Have you ever been in a church where there's problems? Wait, let me ask that another way. Have you ever been in a church where there's no problems? Where people don't ever disagree? Where everything's all good? It's probably a cult. If you, if you have, it's probably a weird thing. All right, let's keep going here. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. So somebody's ratted them out. Chloe's household somehow traveled to where Paul was and kind of informed on what was going on back at the church. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. In the King James and the NIV, it uses uh, another name for Peter, Cephas, which we'll get to that in a minute. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now, no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh, yes. He has a little memory lapse. And he says, oh, yes. I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. (laughs) I love that this is in here. You know why? Well, one reason why because it's funny. You think about Paul writes this letter, 
And he's probably writing, I mean, he probably could write. Most of the people in that time and of history did not personally know how to write. And they would usually go to a secretary and they would pay that person to write for them. They would go and they would dictate a letter or whatever they wanted to do. And that person would write it for them. Then it would be sent. And then they have to go through the whole process again when they received it back, have someone read it to them. Now, Paul could probably write because he was a very well-educated person. But even though he could, most people didn't. We, it's just the way it was done. But he probably could, but it is comical to me that he throws this parenthetical statement in here. Oh, yeah, 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 there's, I think I did the Stephanus household, and I think that's it. You know what, why I love it? Because people all the time try to criticize Scripture and say it's all made up, and they, they wrote it after the fact, and they tried to fix things later. You know what? This shows you that's not how it was. What you see is what you get. He wrote it just as it is, all the flaws, all the mistakes, all the forgetting things in people's names. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross would lose its power. I want us to remember that for something a little bit later. Not with clever speech, for fear the cross would lose its power. Unity. He's talking about unity. You see why I'm saying that we're Crown Point Corinthians? Because the Corinthians had issues with unity, just as every church in America does. Every single church has problems with unity. Their problems were different, but Jesus prayed that the church would be the model of unity. Look how Jesus prayed for us, for you and me, the church, the church of Jesus Christ, every church in every local building or assembly or house church or, or magnificent building, it doesn't matter. My prayer, this is Jesus praying, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, talking about the disciples, and that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's a lot of one. You see what he's saying? He's saying that us in the church, he wants us to be as unified as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is a, that is a high bar. A very, very high bar. I, I don't, I, obviously, we're never going to achieve that on, this, on planet Earth with our humanity and our frailty. That's never going to happen. But that's what Jesus prayed for us, that our unity would resemble the unity, the, the supernatural unity of the Godhead. That's an amazing prayer. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see what he's saying here? Partly, he's saying that the redemption of the world hangs on our unity. That's, that's a frightening thing. Because how many times have you been in a church where people think that they're holy and dignified in their disagreement? And both sides are really sure that they're right, and they really, really think that they're doing the right thing. And yet what Jesus is saying here is he th- he's saying that people's salvation could hang on how unified the church is. There's there's problems with that. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. This is a very spiritual, mysterious thing. This is a supernatural thing that he's talking about here. Because if... (laughs) If we're fair and clear about life, we know that it's, it's nearly impossible for us to really be in unity with everybody, isn't it? Because we have different personalities, we have different goals, we have different gifts. 
You're going to butt heads with certain people. There's going to be certain people who you just don't want to be around. You know what I'm talking about. And there's certain people where you're saying, oh, man, I don't know. Nice person as long as they sit on that side. It's going to happen. But what Christ is talking about here is a supernatural unity that we can, we can find agreement and unity in spite of all our human differences. <laughs> in spite of what color the walls are. In spite of all those things. Oh, let me go back. In them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unfortunately, the church has not lived up to this prayer. It's kind of a frightening thing to think, isn't it? That Jesus prayed a prayer that hasn't been answered? Yikes. How sad is it that the church, church history is more often a history of disagreements and fights and the way that the world looks at us is completely fractured and in no unity whatsoever. We joked, we joked last week about how many different denominations there are and I was joking about, you know, it's hard to imagine that many differences that would create that many whole groups of Christians that they couldn't agree on these differences and yet we know that's the case. That's the history of the church. And we live out that history day to day, on and on. How many of you, now this may be uncomfortable or bring up painful memories. I'm just curious, how many of you have been part of a church split? Not part of it like you were part of it. Like, I mean, you were in a church that split. Let me ask it that way. Anybody? I saw the first one that I ever saw when I was in sixth grade. It was horrendous. Horrendous. I was in sixth grade. And I'm a, I was a skeptical little sixth grader. And I remember sitting by my mom in church. And what happened is this lady got up and started speaking in tongues. She was like over here. I remember because I was sitting right back there. Not in this church, but right back there. She was praying in tongues here. And a lady got up right over there and started yelling at her in tongues. And everything she would say, she would yell at and argue at her. <laughs> I remember looking up at my mom and like, so, is that the Holy Spirit? And she just hung her head and shook her head and said, no, that's people. We can't get along. And it split that church. Because both of these people were fighting and booyah. In tongues. In church. Pathetic. Jesus Christ prayed that we would be unified. And he tied our unity to the, evangeliz uh, the evangelization of the world. And we fall so short, so short. Let me, let me talk about what unity is. Because I know you're probably sitting here thinking, that is a weird story, but it's true. I saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> unity is expected. Christ expected that we would be unified. Paul expected that the church would be unified. When he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, he said, come on, guys, get this together. You can be unified. So understand that this is an expectation of God himself, of every one of us. Not only that, you need to understand this. This is beauty of the church. Unity is not conformity. <laughs> Here's what I mean. Unity does not mean we walk necessarily in lockstep. God didn't make us that way. He made the diversity that we see. He made all the different personalities and he gave us all the different gifts and he expects those things to be expressed in his body. Unity doesn't mean everybody's the same. It's not a cookie cutter type thing. It doesn't mean everybody prays the same or at the same volume or everybody you know, moves the same. It, that's not what he had in mind. What he had in mind is that we're unified on something else, which we'll talk about in a minute. Unity is not about methods. 
It doesn't mean that if you do things different in the church that you're no longer unified. We can do things different and yet be unified. Well, we joke, remember, was it last week we were talking about baptism and how some people baptize backward and forward and some people just squat right down in the water and sprinkle and, you know what? We can be unified with those people in the faith even though we do the method of the thing different. That part doesn't matter. You know, there are times where, you know, I've tried to teach my kids or youth how to pray as Jesus instructed the disciples how to pray. Remember he talked about, oh, don't babble like the heathens. And he, he said, you know, God knows what you have need. I mean, there's, there's ways to pray. But ultimately, what's the goal? Talking to God. I don't care how you pray. If you're going to pray really loud, I'm going to probably go on the other side of the room. But, but ultimately, that's not going to make us disunified and end our relationship in Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? It's unity, but we're different. There's diversity, and God celebrates that diversity. I think, I think some of our differences, even in denominations, are a good thing. I know some people are saying, Who, what? I don't know that God necessarily intended every church to be exactly the same. I like the fact that, for instance, Nicole's uncle pastors a Christian church in Kearney, and they're very formal. It's kind of fun to go and experience it. And those people really experience God that way. Now, that wouldn't be a regular diet for me. I wouldn't enjoy it on a regular basis. However, I mean, people do things different. I mean, I've, I've been part of churches where people dance in the front, and I need to move because <laughs> I can't see, and I'm distracted, and I have, maybe I'm ADD. I don't know, but if, if you're going to be bouncing in front of me, I, I can't pay attention. But they can do that. That's a method, and it's okay. We're, we were part of a church once where we were struggling a little bit with the dance team, because um, they kept wanting to be in the front and it kept being distracting and then they had these flags and it happened to be one day where I was going to preach and this lady was doing this flag thing just not paying attention and she full on swung around and whacked this guy right in the head right in the middle of church right in the front it's like oh my goodness but we can still be unified we can work that out it's not as if we fall out of fellowship and we don't believe the same in the same God just because we express our worship in a different way that's okay Unity is also not separating over preferences. Preferences. These things are not spiritual. These are not the essentials of the gospel. They're just the way we do things. I know I told you, I joked about if we were ever saying, hallelujah, remember? Hallelujah. I'll be in the spirit. Boom. Because that's, when I came of age and, and began a real relationship with Christ was in the late 70s, and that was a worship song that was huge. And when that song, when I hear that or sing that, I'm in the spirit immediately. But that's a preference. I don't, I don't expect people to do that today. I would never expect, you know, this church to sing that way or a youth group or anybody because it's different. Different generations have different, different styles, different music, and that's okay. I wouldn't pe- expect people to sit in the same seats or decorate the same or none of that. None of those things are, are things that should separate us in fellowship with Christ. We can disagree. We can talk about them, but, but it doesn't need to separate us. Pride and prejudice. Paul. Remember that scripture? Apollos. Cephas. Peter. Jesus. They were fighting over who, who baptized them. And we look at that church and we can be so kind of judgmental and superficial and think, are you serious? They would fight over that? But we do the same thing. You know, we have our favorite maybe radio or TV preacher. We have our favorite, you know, person that we like to go hear. We have, we, we all do that to a little degree. 
But in this church, unfortunately, it was dividing the church. I read one commentator that was, that was saying that maybe even the ones who were saying that they followed Jesus was kind of like this. You know how some people are? Well, that's fine for you, but I follow Jesus, right? You can follow whoever you want, but I got Jesus on the main line. You know how some people do? And they act like they're just a little bit more spiritual because they, whatever they do, right? We know those people, right? None of you, none of us would be like that. But he was saying that maybe when they said, well, we follow Jesus, you, you can follow the man, but we follow the God. And they were, this guy was saying, I wonder if part of the disunity in this church was those people who were claiming to follow Jesus were actually having authority issues in the church. And maybe the leader of that assembly was trying to move and get things done and change things, and they kept saying, well, you can say and do what you want, but I follow Jesus. As if they were on a higher plane and didn't have, have to follow godly instituted authority in the church. That would be a horrendous thing if that was the case. Let's think about this from another angle in these next uh, parts of Scripture. How about some of the insecurity that comes along with these things? Pride and insecurity. How many times is it that as a Christian, you feel a little bit insecure about your faith? Because the Corinthians had the same feeling. They're not much different than us. These people were, were newly in the faith. And think back to your, maybe your mythology classes in high school or maybe if you've seen some TV show or something that, that has mythology in it. Think about the fact that during this time, a lot of people thought that stuff was real. Those were the religions of the day. That's who they sacrificed to. That's who they, I mean, they gave their money to. That's who they offered meat to. And that it created such controversy in the church. And for us today, we look at that and we think, oh, that's nonsense and silly. But we have the same problems. Because what's worshipped today? Knowledge and science and progressive thought. And if you're a Christian, you must be ignorant, right? You just don't know how the world, world really works. Because if you understood how the world really worked, you wouldn't believe those fairy tales, right? Or how about some people literally think you're stupid, Either you don't know, or you're just a little slow. Because if you were smart enough, you would understand and agree with us, and you would see that the fairy tales you believe are silly. Or maybe you're just crazy. You ever feel like that? Kind of worried about that? You'd like to invite somebody to church, but you don't want, you know. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't want these crazy Christians to be doing anything weird that day. Right? Because you know how that is? I, I, I remember. That, that experience in sixth grade scarred me huge. <laughs> and there were times where I wanted to invite somebody to church. I'm thinking, oh, no way. Because <laughs> for sure, if I invite them to church, someone's going to argue in tongues. And my mom would say, that's, that's never going to happen again. That was wrong. Those people were wrong. They were misusing. And I'm like, I'm just saying, it could happen. I've seen weirder things. I've seen other weird things in church. And we get a little insecure about it. And there's times where that, that leads us to, um, well, think about this for a minute. Maybe not tell the whole story. You know the story, right? The story of Jesus. We usually glamorize it a little bit, but let's think about the story. A, a little teenage girl gets pregnant. No husband, right? Mar pregnant out of wedlock, and then she tells everybody it's God's baby. 
Kind of a weird story, huh? She's poor and in poverty, has the baby in a barn. Right? Then the baby's going to be the savior of the world, but supposedly he lived his whole life without sin. And then there's some stories that he did weird miracles as a child, but then as an adult he did weird miracles, but then they arrested him and they killed him in the most humiliating way they could at the time. And what did he do? He couldn't defend himself? It just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, he's supposed to be God, and he did all these miracles and raised people from the dead, but he couldn't get himself off his own cross. And then what? He floated up into heaven? Isn't that the story? And then he's supposedly up there, and you hear him, you hear voices, and you got a problem, you just tell him what he whispered into the air, and then it comes back around. And sometimes our story, we get insecure about it. So we shortchange the very story and we start to compromise. I know very intelligent, very experienced Christians who've literally compromised their faith on huge, huge things with their friends and with maybe other educated people because they're just a little bit embarrassed. Or we hide from it, and we avoid having to talk about it. And maybe something comes up in the workplace, and there's, a, there's an issue. We're, there's an issue for us, you know, our kids, we live in Liberty, and our kids go to Liberty schools, and we've heard that the Gay Pride Club at at least one of the Liberty high schools for a week or two was out front of the school handing out brochures and giving away t-shirts and high-fiving all the kids as they came in, and then... What do you do? Talk to the school? And they say, well, there's other clubs on campus. They can do it. There's nothing you can say or do. So you just avoid the situation or, you know, where do you, do you just not talk about it? Sometimes we glamorize the story, don't we? And certainly there's glamour in the story. And at Christmas we tell the story and the truth of it, but it looks prettier than that. But what I'm talking about is there's times where we sell it as it's all happy, happy, joy, joy, don't we? takes away all your problems it's like it's like a it's like a life makeover you come in looking one way and then all of a sudden oh you've lost 20 pounds and you got long eyelashes and life is great when those of you who live and walk with christ know that becoming a christian doesn't doesn't take away all your problems what it does is it gives you a person a, a, a partner to walk through those problems and a family to support you through those and yes, God heals, but, but it's not about just that. And yet, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we try to sell it, like, pray for whatever you want, and he'll just give it to you. And it's, you turn God, the God of the universe, into this cosmic Santa or a little genie that if you just rub him the right way, you get whatever you want. Corinthians did the same thing. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why does the world think it's foolishness? I mean, they're dying without Christ and they don't get it. And yet we're sitting here and, and even as I was telling you the story that way, I'm sure some of us were cringing and saying, don't tell my story that way. That's the most beautiful story of the universe and of all time and you're making it sound silly. And yet those people are perishing. Why are they perishing? And they don't get it. And we get it. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise scholar, the wise man, the scholar, the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. The world they lived in was very similar to our world and maybe similar to you in in some of the things that you've thought and cried out to God about. The Greeks, they elevated philosophy to a huge height. Philosophers were their rock stars. The philosophers of the day would stand on corners. People would go to see them. They would travel forever. It was a dream for you to be able to have your child trained by a philosopher in that day. What Paul is saying here is that the truth of this, there's so many times where we try to take the truth of Christianity and put it up against earthly philosophies, and we feel like it comes in second rate. Hmm. They were sophisticated, educated, wealthy. The Jews, on the other hand, what was it that the Jews wanted? They wanted signs. They wanted manna from heaven. They wanted Elijah to come down. They were looking for Jesus to be the second coming. They were looking for somebody to free them from the Roman occupation and all the things that they were going through, the persecution, on and on. That's what they wanted. They wanted to get rid of the foreigners in their land. Their land had been occupied for centuries. First, the, you know, I mean, on and on, the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, now the, now the Romans. But don't we do the same thing Sometimes. We try to get God figured out in our box. And if we can't fit him in our box and it doesn't make sense, then we want to say, oh, it must not be true then because it doesn't make sense to me. Or you talk to somebody and they'll say something like, Trinity, really? Three and one? How does that happen? I mean, that doesn't work. And it's as if I can't explain it to you, then it's not true. Or if you don't understand it, it's not true. We we set these, these bars and these definitions for God, and if he can't fit them, then it doesn't work. Or we want to see a sign. How many, of, how many of us have said, oh God, if you would just please heal this person, do you know how many people get saved? The doctors, the nurses, all the family. And yet how many times have people been healed and people still don't believe? The truth is God's not a jukebox that you just put a coin in and he plays a song for you. He's not a marionette puppet that you pull the strings and he'll do whatever you want. That's not how he comes to us. He doesn't come to us in the way that necessarily fits what our whim of the day or our society's standards of the day. He wants more than that. If it was just those things, it would be reduced to magic. And all you'd have to do is do the right formula and you'd get what you want. That's not what he wants. He wants a real relationship. He wants a relationship with you that is not based on what he does for you when and if you rub the lamp just right. That's not what he wants. What he wants is to know you and for you to know him. He wants to walk through this life with you. He wants to free you of the bondage of having to perform and on and on and all those things. What we need to do is give him Jesus. And yet Jesus wasn't what they expected because he was simple. He was humble. He was uneducated. He was unpublished. (laughs) He wasn't what they thought. 
I mean, he was meek. He was lowly. He was plain. But he came with authority. None of those things fit the template for what they expected Jesus to be. And yet he was the king of the universe. Why? Because because they had set up the parameters and what they thought God would be. And that's not our God. He doesn't do it like that just to show off and be that. Paul goes on, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were noble of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Those Corinthians are just like us. How many of you remember back to high school? Anybody been to like a 10-year reunion or 20 or? You can raise your hands, 30, 40, 50. <laughs> Isn't it funny that you see that a lot of people are still caught up in that whole deal? Like who's popular, who's got money, who's not? It's kind of comical. Because like, wow, really? You're still living that dream? And think back to that for a few minutes. You know, when I first started in youth ministry, the idea behind youth ministry, they said, if you could get the popular kids at the school to come to your youth group, then everybody else would follow. And this is, they literally would teach you this kind of as a strategy. And they'd say, you know, there's, in most schools, you've got about 10% who are popular, and then the rest will just follow them. And think, that was probably true at one time, but, you know, things started to change and groups of people started to kind of get their own groups. And, you, you know, it used to be there would be like one type of music. If you did a youth concert, it would be everybody come. But now you've got so many styles and each style doesn't like the other. and They're not going to come and enjoy it. And it, it becomes so diverse. And none of that's true anymore. But here's what's true about it. If, if Christianity was only, if God was only interested in and calling out to the pretty and the wealthy and the, all that, would, who would come? The small little percentage? That's not the God we serve. I mean, who are we? Is it, did he call us because of looks? Are you here today and serving Christ because you look good or because you're famous or have money or you're important? Aren't you glad that's not why? Aren't you glad that's not his measure of who gets to come in? Aren't you glad that he loves us, not because of any of those things, but simply because he made you and wants to know you? Simply because you're his creation, the apple of his eye. No performance necessary. No qualifications ahead of time. Just come to him. That's how he loves us. None of those things are what, why he called us. Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.29, so that no one may boast before him. Do you realize if it was all about those things, you wouldn't need him anyway? Think about how many, you know, everybody gets all excited when a celebrity gets saved. You ever notice that? Like, oh yeah, we got one on our team and... Most of them don't think they need him. They're under the illusion that they have everything they need because for them, they thought it was about looks and power and fame, which usually ends in a very sad story and some special on VH1. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It's because of him. It's because he chose you from the foundation of the world and he found you worthy because you were his created beloved. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 
It's not because of us being good. It's because of his righteousness, his holiness, and his redemption. And this, this last verse in this section is so powerful. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Pride in Christ alone. That is it. If you're going to boast in anything, boast in Christ alone. That's it. Think about it. Everything we have is at his hand and because of him. You are made in his image. God made you how he wanted you to be. Whether that's tall, shorter, larger, smaller, none of that matters. What matters is that you're in his image and you're the one that he created and loved, dearly loved. Sometimes we forget, though, don't we? This is, we're so prone to these kind of things as human beings. We're so flawed. Sometimes we have a little bit of success. Maybe God gets a hold of us and cleans us up. And, and maybe things start falling into place. And then we forget where that came from. And we start to think, hmm, that's right. That's right. I got it going on. It's not you. It's the God who created you. He gave you all that in the first place. And then he's making you into his image, the image of his son. Those are all blessings he gives us. Blessings that he gives us. If we're going to glory in anything, we glory in him. Chris, could you come to the, the keyboard and start to lead us a little bit? I wrote this ashamed of Christ because I, well, I'm gonna, we already talked about that. Let's boast in Christ. How do you boast in Christ? Here's how you boast in Christ. Realize that we're all beggars just showing another beggar where the bread is. None of us come to this because we're great. We all come as, as people who are in need, but because we found out where the bread is, we can show someone else in need. We're graced sinners. Graced sinners. None of us come as perfect people already set and ready for, for action. The fact is, every single one of us comes flawed and with baggage and with needs to be taken care of. All of us are at a different stage of Becoming holy, the big scripture word is sanctification. God is making us into his image slowly and there's things, little edges that need to be knocked off and things that need to be polished and greatness that he's created within you that he wants to see shine in his church. All of us are like that. Wounded healers. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've had this huge failure in your life and you think I'll never be what God had intended for me to be. The truth is that God can use whatever it is. Every misstep we make, he turns into a beautiful thing. <laughs> He's God. He does that kind of stuff. Those are God-type things that only God can do, and he does them on a regular basis. Think about how much better you can minister to those who've walked the same road that you've walked. Remember the first hospital call I ever went on as a minister, went into a cardiac care unit, and it was a, a cardiac um, ICU. And never been there before. Freaked out. Oh, my goodness. All these tubes, and the guy starts coding. It's horrible. Horrible. But I've been there now. Not a cardiac, but I've been in a hospital. I've spent months there. None of that bothers you. Once you've walked that road, Dan can talk to people who struggle with, with uh, cancer in a way that nobody else can. The mistakes, the missteps, the flaws, all those things, God turns into badges of honor and beauty. And he uses those things to, to help you be the one that heals the next one. We're all kind of this delivered, pompous, prideful, self-confident church folk. 
Some of us are like that. Maybe you've been in church a while and you saw the light. God changed you. Pompous means like you think you're smart and better than everybody. Engage the culture. How do we do it? Number one is about compassion. We engage the culture because we care about them. Not because we're right and we want to pound the truth into them. It's because we care about them. And because we notice and realize the fact that they don't see clearly. (laughs) This portion of scripture said that the fact is that they don't see what, what looks to us as life and excitement. They see as silliness and they just haven't seen the truth yet. And they need someone to be praying for them and to show them gently the truth. It's, it's about you living a consistent lifestyle in front of them. A consistent lifestyle that, that negates whatever, whatever template and preconceived, prejudice, bigoted idea they have about what Christians are. That they can't just say that anymore about you because you've already loved them. You've already put your arm around it and cared about them and helped them. So that none of that matters anymore. We're all familiar with Roe versus Wade, you know, the court case, 1973, that legalized abortion on demand. You you know that that Roe is a Christian? You guys have heard this before, right? Do you know how she became a Christian? Because there was a a pro-life ministry right next to where she was working for Planned Parenthood. And they just loved her over and over and over. Took care of her, walked her out to her car in storms. They loved her. So all the preconceived ideas she had about that group, she couldn't have them anymore because those were incongruent now in her mind. And it created this cognitive dissonance that no longer could be there. And she had to consider the truths of Christianity, and God started to nurture her heart. Changes things. It's about that love. Ultimately, it's about Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. What do we do with Jesus? Talk about his character, who he is, what he taught what, what he was about, how he treated the down and out and the indigent and the people that society had thrown away. That's Jesus. How do you argue against that? Talk about your life, his life, what he's done in your life. Talk about his ministry. Talk about your relationship with him. What does it mean for you to know him? That changes people forever. Would you please stand and close your eyes for just a second?